You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about new strategies, techniques that are prevalent in 2021 when it comes to the volleyball world. Um, I get a lot of coaches always asking about you know what's new, what's new this year, what are they, what are the new things they're doing in volleyball this year. So we're going to talk about that on today's episode. So stay tuned. Hi. I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 52 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Hope you guys are doing well out there. It is uh, June 6th when I'm recording this, 2021. It's a beautiful day out here in Toronto. Uh, Wherever you are listening around the world, I hope it's a great day for you guys to, uh, well, you'll be be listening to this uh, the next day, Monday, I suppose, or or whenever you listen to it during the week. Um, and right now we're currently in the midst of the volleyball nations league VNL, uh, which is located in Italy, I believe this year. So that's exciting. That's going on right now. Um, but before we get into today's episode, I just want to welcome everyone. If you don't know me, my name is coach Brian. I'm the host of the volleyball by design podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. We've got about 51 episodes to get caught up on. And if you are a regular listener, as always, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to what I got to say, and I hope I can deliver some value today for you guys. Um, you know, if I can give you one ideal, you know, sometimes I always talk about the power of one idea. One idea. You know, one of my mentors always said that if you were to go somewhere to a training or to any um, anything where you're learning, some kind of educational opportunity, and you were to take away one ideal, that one ideal could turn into something great. And it's true. Like there's a lot of times, even as a, I'm digressing a little bit here, but even as a volleyball coach, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, um, not as not not 30 years, but I've been doing it for long enough where I, I, I know the game pretty well. I, I, I like to say I know the game pretty well. And every year, minus last year because of COVID, uh, but every year, I always go to some kind of uh, coaching symposium clinic of some sort because I'm always looking to learn new ideas from other coaches and, you know, how people are doing things and stuff like that. And there's a lot of times where, you know, a, a lot of the things they're saying, I, I already know, um, again, because I've been doing this for a long time. But there's always, you know, a couple things I write down. A couple, If I can go away from a, a coaching symposium with a couple notes a couple points, some some new ideas, then it, it was worth it because a new ideal can change the way your program works. Can take you from you know last place to second place. It can do so many different things that I've experienced in my life just by getting one ideal. That's it. And uh, the power of one ideal is actually incredible. You know, my my mentor John Spraw. When I every time I go in his gym. I always get that one ideal that that helps change my program or alters my program for the better, and not 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 just to say John Spra, but when I'm in a lot of other coaches' gyms, uh, with the opportunity to shadow or just or or even when I'm a guest coach, and I see what other coaches are doing around the world, it's incredible what the ideals that I can take away. So, uh, why am I even talking about this? Uh, I guess I'm just saying, continue to learn, always learn, because you never know what the power of one ideal can do for you. 
There is there is a whole lot. I went off on a tangent there about that. I'm sorry. Uh, so today's episode, let's talk about today's episode. So the Volleyball Nations League is going on right now um, in Italy. And it's great. You're seeing high-level volleyball. It's actually, it's amazing matches. If you get, if you haven't been listening, or sorry, if you haven't been watching, um, I would definitely tune in, and you can definitely catch some of the replays. I think if you download the Volleyball World app, it's called VolleyballWorld.tv, even if you don't pay for a subscription, I believe you can watch the replay games of VNL. And I highly recommend you doing so because it's uh, it's pretty incredible what's going on in VNL. Uh, a lot of high-level volleyball. And you know, a lot, a lot of coaches texted me and have been um, reaching out and was like, "Hey, did you see this? Did you see uh, the, the what's 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 new here, or or what's happening here?" And and it's interesting because um, I do notice a couple of things that are a little bit different uh, in, in VNL and, and in, the, in the game of volleyball that I want to bring to your attention. You know, our game does grow, our game evolves every year in some way. Some years not as much as others, um, and there's always one, one one thing about coaches. I was like, "What's new for for this year?" Like, I, they coaches never want to be behind the ball. Now, you always want to be ahead of the ball. What's new for 2021? And the next year, you'll be asking me, "What's new for 2022?" And the uh, the truth is, is that there's all, sometimes there's not always a lot of new things. There's just, di- there's just different things that that happen. And unfortunately, in our world. Now, if I'm wrong, I want any of my listeners to reach out to me and tell me that I'm wrong, okay? But from what I've gathered and from the coaches I've spoken to, there isn't a volleyball like research database. There's not a place where you can go for volleyball and get updated research, updated trials that other coaches are running. It's kind of, you just have to find them uh, at maybe clinics or symposiums or maybe when a, when a coach releases something, it, it somehow makes its way to your volleyball region. It, it's But there's no actual place you can go. Now, if I'm wrong, I need someone to reach out and, and let me know. But as far as I know, you can't do that. So one of the things is you always want to keep ahead of the game and find out what's going on with strategies and techniques. So let's, uh, let's talk about some of them for 2021. And mind you, these new strategies, I, I don't want to say that they haven't been around prior to 2021. A lot, a lot of them have. In fact, I know a lot of them have. But what, what's happening is we're seeing them become more popular now. We're seeing a lot of athletes start utilizing these skills and assets more than they have before. So uh, just to be aware of that. So, if you, you, so many of you probably already know what I'm going to talk about, but it's a good reminder to make sure that if your athletes are at the level that allows you to train them this way, you should you know, you kind of be heading towards that. Okay. So one of the first things that I noticed a lot this year over, uh, over previous years is, is more setters are side setting. So side setting is the idea of when you, as a setter, when you're facing the net, you're not, like you, so imagine a setter facing the net, not perpendicular to the net, meaning they're, they're facing the pins or the left side, or they're facing to the net and then being able to set over their shoulder, like side set to the left side or the right side and so forth. And the reason this is becoming more prevalent is because in the past, normally when setters are facing the net, they'll, they'll bump, they'll use their forearm to get the ball to a certain location because that's just naturally what, what they did. They were never trained to side set, but side setting enables them to be able to still face the net and deliver the ball to the left side and right side. Now you may ask, well, why are we side setting? Why don't they just square it to the pin? Well, when there is a rally going on and setters have to cover and then get back up and get ready to set, or they have to be back and playing defense and then they have to get ready to set. Sometimes when a ball is dug or a ball is passed, you know, maybe at a, at a faster trajectory to the net, 
it's very hard to get around the ball. It's very, very hard to get around the ball. So you have to have the ability to be able to, you know, run towards the net, be stopped, go straight up and side set to either position. Now, this also adds an element of, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say deceit, but there is a little bit of deceptiveness to side setting because what a lot of setters tend to do is they actually act like they're approaching to swing at the ball. So sometimes when you have the opportunity to do that, you may act like you want to go and swing at the ball and then side set. Now, when you have enough time to actually make a full approach like you're going to swing, that is a strategy all in itself. So there's two purposes for side setting. One is if you can't get to the ball in time to square to your outside hitter, then you'll side set to um, whatever hitter you can. Normally, it's a it's a right side or it could potentially be a middle or actually it could be it could be all the positions. Now that I think about it, so that's the first thing. We don't have enough time to get to the ball. Or the second one is off a dig, right? You are in a position where the ball is high enough where you can approach and bait the blockers to thinking you're going to be able to you're going to be swinging, which then brings them into wherever you're approaching. Okay, so you get that. So someone digs the ball setter is starting to look like they're approaching and all of a sudden no matter where the setter is approaching from blockers start to come in to that setter and get that and get ready to block the setter and then they set a left side or right side and by the time they do that the blockers have already positioned themselves to block the setter now they have to footwork out and block the hitter and again it's just an element of um deceptiveness i guess if you want to call it that does it work always Maybe, maybe not, but it's another uh, way you can think about it. So side setting is definitely uh, one of the things that I think are are important. And I'm seeing it more and more and more in, uh, in 2021 than I have in the past. Another thing that I'm seeing more and more of, and this is, again, I don't want to say this is the first time. I mean, obviously, we've been talking, setters has been doing this for years, but one hand setting. Now, it's funny because a lot of coaches have different perspectives on this. This is my perspective. If you're a coach listening, I completely understand if you have a different view on this. But what I think is that one hand setting is extremely important and must be trained. You have to train your setter how to set with one hand because there's going to be so many opportunities where there's going to be a ball. And I saw this a lot in VNL where a ball would be passed and the the tempo of that pass is too fast to get both hands behind the ball and set it. In fact, the ball is being passed really fast and it's going over the net. If a setter is not there, that ball is going over the net and it's going to be considered an overpass. But setters have to have the ability to get to that ball, stop it from going over the net with one hand if they can. Two hands would be better, obviously, but if they can with one hand and direct it to either a middle, a left side, a right side, and so forth. So I know as coaches, we're always trying to train two hand. I'm guilty of this too, by the way. We're always trying to train two hand sets, two hand sets, because that's what it is. That's a, that's a skill. But I would be reluctant to say that one hand setting is not important. You have to train one hand setting because there's going to be opportunities and a lot of opportunities when uh, setters have to do that. So these are the two big ones for setters. Okay. So mind you, I know setters have a, a tough job already because they have to run the offense. They got to have, they got to focus on their location, location, their footwork and all that stuff, but make sure you're implementing. So when you're doing your setting workouts and you're working with your setters, uh, typically you just have them set with two hands from different locations and try to hit a target. 
Now, make sure you have them setting facing the net, so side setting, and also integrating the one hand set into their repertoire. So what's gonna happen is you're gonna find that it actually makes the setters more confident because now they have a ton of different skill sets that they can use to set the ball. They're not just relying on one fundamental movement, meaning going to the net or staying off the net and squaring to a target. Now they have a bunch of different tools they can use to set a ball, which will make them more confident on the court. And you know, being able to one hand set and being able to set facing the net gives them the ability to make multiple different sets based on multiple different balls. So really important, that's your, that's your side setting and, um, and one hand setting. Another strategy or technique I'd say that I've seen a lot more of over the last couple of years and even more in 2021 is the hybrid serve. Now I'm sure many of you know what the hybrid serve is, but basically for those who don't know, the hybrid serve is a serve where you, you toss the ball like you're gonna serve one way and you serve another way. So for example, when you're gonna float serve, you would toss the ball like you would for a float, which you're tossing flat, there's no spin on it, and then you'd hit it. But for a hybrid, you would toss it as a float, and then with your wrist and the rest of your body, manipulate that ball and put a spin on it. So the ideal is that the defense, the passers are gonna see you with a float, but then when you top spin, it's gonna you know, hopefully um, put them in a position where it's much more difficult to pass. And uh, same thing with the, the spin to flow. You can do a spin to flow, you spin the ball, so defense thinks or passers think that you're gonna be serving deep, they're gonna move back, and then you put a float on it where it hopefully it drops. So that's the hybrid serve. It's actually becoming, um, uh, if, you've list, if you listen to my interview with Stephen Marr, uh, pro player, Team Canada player, uh, I wanna say a couple weeks ago, um, he was talking about how deadly the hybrid serve is because it's very, very difficult for passers to be able to read the server if they're going hybrid. You know, if like, let's say for example, a person hits a spin, a spinner on you and they get an ace. Well, now as a passer, you're thinking, okay, they're going to put a spinner on me again. I got to get ready to pass this ball. And if they then toss it as a spin and then float, you are really caught off guard and that's when servers become really deadly because they're very, very hard to read. Now, I, wanna, I do wanna say something here though. If you're a, a, a youth coach and you're coaching a, a, you know, younger players where they're still developing their serve, forget about the hybrid. Let them develop their spin and, serve and float first or, or whatever their, their strong serve is. Once they've developed that strong serve, then you can experiment with hybrids and stuff like that. But I do think it's, it's, it's a, I do would like my athletes, to, I, I, for me, I, I have my athletes experiment with it, um, but only when they're at the level that allows them to, meaning they can spin consistently if that's their serve or if their serve's a flow, they can flow consistently, okay? So that's the, that's the hybrid. Um, another thing that I've noticed, and I've seen this with a couple teams actually, especially in VNL, is uh, with, with regards to the middle player. So I actually teach this in my offensive workshop uh, if any of you attended my offensive workshop, uh, I talked about this, but I'm seeing it done more and more. Where the middle approaches for a 51 or a quick attack, right? The middle approaches for a quick attack, and instead of jumping straight up, they jump away from the setter. So what that does now is if you're a middle blocker and your opposing middle is coming in and getting ready to swing that quick, you're you're likely gonna jump straight up to take to block that player. And when the blocker jumps straight up, if the attacker's fading away, he's fading away from the block, therefore leaving him with a one-on-one or, or, or a one-on-nothing. It actually shouldn't even be a one-on-one. It should be a one-on-nothing. 
And that is a, a very, very, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really valuable play. Now, here's the thing. Your middle has to have the ability to jump and jump well enough where they can still maintain their velocity, their height, and jump away from the setter. So a lot of control. It's a very, very, it's a lot harder to jump away from your setter and still be able to attack the ball with the same efficiency as if you were jumping straight up. It's a lot more involved in that. So um, I want to say, like, I call it a front fade, by the way. Uh, I think in the U.S. you guys call it a push one. So the middle fading away from the setter, I, I, I've seen in a lot more in, um, in 2021. I think we're going to continue seeing that because... Um, I don't know if you know anything about the way that I teach offense is your offense predominantly revolves around your middle. Your Everything from your offense starts with your middle. So if your middle it has the ability to, you know, not just do your back quick, your front quick, your 30s, 31s and all that stuff, but they can, they can start doing push ones and fades and all this stuff, you're going to have a, a fantastic position to be, you know, a tough team to, to stop because you'll have a, t- a ton of tools at your disposal that you can use on offense. All right, so uh, if your middle is at a position where they can do that, I, I definitely would would try to experiment and see if that works out for you because it's very, very difficult to stop. All right, moving on to uh, another interesting thing that I've seen lately. I w- I, again, not in 2021, but more so over the last couple of years, but it's becoming more prominent this year as well, is you know um, sometimes when, when players dig a ball, the ball gets popped up in the middle of the court. Uh, well, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, the player in position six, okay, normally the left side, instead of um, attacking the ball, so let's say this is the second second uh, contact, okay? So the ball goes up, it's a dig, and the player in position six will approach like they're going to hit the second ball, like they're going to attack the second ball. So they go, they jump, the defense gets baited, the blockers are probably going to be jumping there as well, and instead of attacking the ball, they then set it to the right side or the left side, depending on their momentum. So it's very interesting. Uh, I actually don't know if there's a name for this. There probably is a name for this, but it's basically when the when the player in position six is approaching to attack the second ball, the second contact, and instead of attacking, they jump, and then they set the ball to the right side, hopefully, or the left side, and in hopes that they're providing them with a one-on-nothing. So that's another thing. Again, really advanced. This is a really, really advanced uh, move. I, I don't expect younger players to be doing this. This is like, you know, when you're at the level where you know you can start playing around with these things on a second contact. That's when you can uh, you, you can look at it from that point of view. Okay, but again, don't um, don't be what's the, don't don't be don't be trying this when you can't even make a backward attack. All right. So you have to be able to run an effective pipe first before you could try the player approaching in position six, okay? Um, and the last thing that I'll talk about, and this is, again, this is the nature of our game and how our game grows, is the tempo. Man, ah, the tempos that these teams are running in 2021 are the fastest I've seen it in our game, period. Like, I mean, and not to say that, you know, there's, there's always around the world, there's always teams that run a fast offense. We know that. But what I'm saying is the amount of teams that have the ability to run a fast offense is incredible. And I'm talking, you know, Setter just releases the ball and it's basically like a shoot to the outside and they're scoring. So one of the things that I, I would, again, and this is something you're going to work towards regardless of what level you're at, but is to increase the speed of your offense. Now you have to be able to pass to do that and you have to be able to be athletic enough to hit a tempo offense. But if you can 
The faster your offense, the harder it's going to be for the defense to stop it. Uh, just because in the, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Like what you, with, a, with a faster tempo offense, there's, a, there's only so much you can do. Okay? So just keep that in mind. I will add one more thing, actually. So this is, my, this is the sixth thing, I think, actually. So when it comes to uh, the out-of-system ball, now I may have talked about this in the past, and if I have, uh, you're going to hear it again. But traditionally... The way that we used to teach, well, at least here in Canada, I don't actually know. I think I've seen some videos of the U.S. teaching it this way as well. When it comes to an out-of-system ball, we used to teach our left sides to be wide, so to be outside the court, be extremely far outside the court, and wide to the setter, and far back, like far back to the setter. And the setter is supposed to push a nice high ball going towards the outside of the court, so that the hitter can come in and have his hitting options. And the reason that we did that is because we didn't want to jam the hitter inside the court. We don't want to jam them tight. We don't want to jam them outside, and, or sorry, inside. And we, we wanted to give the hitter all the space in the world to swing and make, an, and make an attack. That was the way that we used to teach it. But research and stats have shown us that that is actually ineffective. And we're seeing more errors that come about when you're trying to set the ball high and off the net and outside, outside the court, okay, versus high off the net and inside the court. So, so now, and you're, you're going to see a lot of the top teams do this. Uh, UCLA does this. Uh, Trinity Western does this. Uh, pro, a lot of pro teams are now doing this. Go look, look at their out-of-system balls. Their out-of-system balls now are high inside the court and off the net. And the reason for that is because the error rate is nowhere near what it was when they were going high outside the court. When balls were getting set high outside the court, players were coming in, swinging, hitting the antenna. The set location was always inconsistent, and it just it, it was a mess. But this ended up being a great solution to go high inside because what they do now is the left sides that are coming in on those out-of-system balls, they're going high off hands. I mean, if there's a seam, of course, they're going to swing seam. But as long as the ball is off the net, the hitter has the advantage. So the, you can set it in, as inside as you want. It doesn't really matter. The hitter is always going to have the advantage. So the balls are getting set high off the net inside the court. Attackers are coming in and just going to work on it and swinging high off hands. So that is definitely something that's transitioned in our game. It used to be high outside. Now it's high inside. So if you're when you're training uh, out-of-system balls, uh, make sure that you can start transitioning towards that. And it's funny. I will say a lot of a lot of coaches I spoke to don't spend a lot of times or don't spend a lot of time sorry don't spend a lot of time with out of system hitting, and it, that's actually a mistake. Out of system hitting is super important. It's super important because you can you could win games uh, by being a better out of system hitting team. Okay, because once that dig goes up, that's your opportunity to get the ball back and score, and then you have you you put you put the ball back on your side of the court. So make sure you're teaching your players how to swing out of system balls. Um, and then what to look for when they're swinging out of system balls too, and then you know how that how all that works. All right. So those are my big my big takeaways so far in 2021. I mean things may change, uh, but every year I do want to do this. Like I mean I want to keep up to date, and I want to let my listeners keep up to date with what's going on in the world and what's changing. And again, I'm fortunate enough to be really connected with coaches all around the world who 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 uh, who share with me what they're doing in their gyms and you know what new things they're trying out and stuff like that. Um, like the newest thing that I know teams are trying out right now is they're, um, you know, when you have the money and budget for it, they're putting on those goggles 
and they're for blocking to track eye sequencing and speed. Um, and it's really cool. What's, I, I don't know the results and the stats on it yet, but I, I will be finding out how that's changed and stuff like that. Like I can tell you one thing. Uh, one of the things that have changed, and this isn't a new tech, technique or strategy or anything like that, but it's just something that, that, that changed slightly, was um, so when, we're, when you're blocking, right, there's the, the whole idea of ball setter, ball hitter. And I, I think I talked about that on my last episode when it comes to blocking, uh, or two episodes ago. And basically the idea is um, after the setter sets the ball, and you've identified the location that that's going to, right? So you've identified the type of set and the hitter. Your next job is to look at the hitter right away. Well, apparently this new research is showing based on the goggles and the eye sequencing that they're measuring these athletes is that after the set is made, you can actually watch the ball a little bit longer than you previously could have. You could watch it, study it, take it in, take all the information in, and then look at the hitter. Um, personally, I still train my players to, as soon as they've identified where that ball is going, they look at the hitter. That's it. And that's, just, and that's where I'll go until more research comes out to show me exactly when the eye sequencing should change and how that works. But that's, that I'm assuming is going to come out later on. All right. So I gave you guys a ton of things in this episode to make sure you're implementing in your gym, making sure you're just aware of it. Um, being aware of it is sometimes more important because, you know, if another team is doing something, at least you know what they're doing and you can act accordingly. You don't have to worry about never seeing it before. All right. Um, and I hope I was able to give you guys some value that you can take back to your gym and apply to your team right away. Uh, for those of you um, who, for those coaches out there, um, who are who, who like the stuff, like the value that I give. Um, you know what? I really like to help and work with you guys. So, if you're interested in working with me, um, getting mentorship, uh, joining any kind of you know coaching program, uh, go to the Digital Volleyball Academy and sign up for my waitlist. And then you're going to get notification as soon as my door is open. And Digital Volleyball Academy is my signature membership where I get to help coaches around the world just like you. I help them grow, help them get more confidence, and I open the door to my gym. You get all the behind-the-scenes access to our gym, all my resources, all my courses, and I've done, I've created a lot of courses on this game, on all the skills and positions of our game and all that stuff. Um, so it's pretty, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a great resource and a great program to be a part of if you're a coach and you're ready to, to grow and, you know, see results much faster, okay? Don't do it alone. Do not do it alone. I did it for years alone until I finally smartened up and had a mentor. Uh, but that's another conversation for another day. Anyways, that is it for me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.